Today's episode is brought to you by Curve, a card and digital wallet service. You'll be hearing more about Curve later on, but for now, let's get into today's interview. I am joined by James Block, an independent crypto researcher who's been doing a lot of sleuthing on what's going on with FTX, what's going on with Alameda, as well as the sort of breaking news about Digital Currency Group. James, great to have you here. How are you doing? Uh, it's great to be here. James, you in early November wrote a bombshell of a piece um, uh, called Is Alameda Insolvent? What were your findings there? What was your thesis? And how did it how did your thesis change as sort of your worst fears were sort of proven true almost immediately? Yeah. So um, as a little bit of background, I've been investigating crypto for about a year. Um, I focused a lot on a company called Celsius Network, which was a lending firm that had a lot of very close ties to FTX and Alameda. And so that's kind of how I got introduced to the subject and started really digging into it. Um, I'd written a couple pieces prior to this about kind of the relationship between the two companies and some of the very odd things that I've been noticing going on. Um, so the piece on Alameda's, um, solvency came about because I, uh, actually obtained a copy of this balance sheet shortly before the CoinDesk piece went uh, public. And, uh, I didn't publish it because I, I wanted to wait to make sure that the balance sheet was actually real. Uh, and once they published it, I was ready to go with my piece. So, um, essentially what I, what I found was that, uh, Alameda had been using these incredibly illiquid crypto tokens that they're, um, associated companies, FTX and other projects they had invested in, had basically spun up out of thin air and then using various market manipulation techniques had created billions of dollars in uh, totally fake value. Um, and once, uh, because of the Celsius network uh, investigations, I was pretty familiar with how these types of token schemes worked. And so it was very, it was pretty straightforward for me to show, here's why these tokens have no actual value and what would happen if FTX would, or Alameda would try to, um, uh, realize any value out of these tokens, they would crash the market to zero. And basically showing that uh, their balance sheet was basically all smoke and mirrors and they, they owned somebody billions of dollars that they probably couldn't pay back. Right. So FTX is the exchange that recently went bankrupt, started by mm -hmm. Sam Bankman-Fried, people call him SBF. He also started Alameda Research, a hedge fund that was rumored to be filled with these very smart quantitative traders who could make a lot of money uh, because they, they knew really how to, you know, how to take risk in a very responsible way. Celsius is a crypto lending firm that went bankrupt earlier this year. You said you looked into the research of Alameda and Celsius earlier this year, and you started to notice, I think the word you use is some very odd things. What were the odd things that you noticed? Well, the two companies had very, very close relationship going back um, well over a year. Uh, so Celsius was engaged in a very similar scheme as FTX and Alameda were with their token, the sell token. And so FTX was like the, the main exchange that sell token traded on throughout 2021. And during that period, my research and as well as, uh, Sworn statements from uh, Vermont securities regulators and others have shown that Celsius was buying tens of millions of these tokens on FTX's exchange in order to manipulate the price of that token. Um, the token was then marked to market on their balance sheet, and then they used that to show that they were solvent and raise funds. Uh, Celsius successfully completed a $750 million equity raise in 2021 uh, with Westcap and the uh, Law CDPQ, which is the uh, Montreal Pension Fund, 
uh, as the main investors in that. So they basically were in the Celsius case, they were able to use these tokens as a way to prop up their balance sheet and show that they were making money. And apparently these big institutional investors fell for it. Um, so that was one part of the way that Celsius and FTX were tied. Um, the other part of it was that when FT, or when Celsius froze withdrawals uh, back in June, they basically prevented their customers from taking their money out anymore. Um, they had a very large amount of debt, both to FTX, as well as to a number of these decentralized finance platforms. And uh, these were secured by a significant amount of customer collateral. So what they did was they actually liquidated large amounts of their customers' collateral using FTX as the intermediary, and then in the process paid back over $700 million in loans, both to FTX or from FTX and from these decentralized protocols. So there are a couple of different places where the, the relationship between these companies was very close. And then the third thing to remember is that uh, Celsius was very closely tied to the Tether stablecoin, which was also very closely tied to um, SBF, Alameda, and FTX. So there's multiple connections going back years between these companies that were very suspicious. Yeah. And let's talk about the illiquid tokens that were on the balance sheet of Alameda Research and then later FTX, or perhaps at the same time, FTX. And there are tokens like uh, FTT, FTX token, and uh, Serum, SRM. And just tell us about the shocking amount, shockingly uh, a small amount that was actually traded per day relative to to the tokens. Uh, You've got some great charts in your original piece um, about you, you call them a flywheel. Yeah, just just the, what what is a circulating supply? What is the max supply? And uh, why is that so bad to have such a big mismatch? Essentially, in all of these cases, Alameda was controlling uh, a vast majority of the total tokens in existence. Um, so, for example, with FTT token, uh, they own something like eighty to ninety percent of the total. Uh, tokens that were existence. And a number of these tokens were considered locked, so they weren't even circulating in the market. Um, And then on top of that, uh, so essentially what they owned, they owned more tokens than were actually circulating in throughout the entire market. And then the daily volume was like a tiny percentage of the total amount of uh, tokens that were available, basically showing that liquidity was very, very low relative to the amount that they owned. Um, And then if you looked at the blockchain, you could show that most of the tokens that were trading through these exchanges, primarily FTX, uh, appeared to be trading in a big circle, which is a is a key sign for market makers that are basically inflating the inflating the supposed um, trend trading. So if you look at, for example, yeah, this is a great chart because basically what this is showing is the tokens come in, the tokens come out, and they just go in a big circle. And the wallets that are trading them are essentially Alameda wallets. So they're basically creating this illusion of volume. And so what what this means is that Alameda, if they needed to make money off of these tokens, if they needed to get the cash to actually pay these debts off that they had, uh, they would need to try to sell these tokens and nobody else was buying them. So the, the real value of these tokens was zero. Yes. I, I think in, in October, uh, FTT, according to the leak balance sheet to the Financial Times, had something like 180% of all the circulating supply on its balance sheet. And they mm-hmm. had about six times... Uh, 700%, I guess, or 500% of the circulating supply of Serum tokens and Mm -hmm. 250 times uh, uh, the daily trading volume. So if they wanted to sell it all and and sell the max trading volume, it would take them almost a year. Right. And and again, we we can pretty much demonstrate conclusively that all of even these incredibly small volumes were probably dominated by Alameda themselves, like essentially wash trading it to make the appearance of there being some liquidity. Um, 
Yeah, and so and Serum is an even worse example because a lot of the tokens are not even released yet. They're they're not distributed. So what this chart shows is that the, the design of this is that a very small percentage of the total tokens that were created were released, and most of them are locked in these contracts and then, then get kind of dispersed over several year period. Um, ostensibly, this is to control the uh, supply of the token because that way you can keep the price up. Um, a lot of these schemes in, in crypto rely on this very, very simplified understanding of how supply and demand affect prices. And they all have this notion that as long as you keep the supply long, low enough, uh, the price will stay up. Um, of course, that's a very fallacious assumption, but that's honestly what a lot of these projects are built around. And they keep this circulating supply low, but the maximum supply is quite large. It just will be released in 2025, 2026, 2027. And then you use those tokens that will only come into existence years later as a value uh, on your balance sheet, and mm-hmm. you have the gall to put it you, as less liquid. You know, there's in the balance sheet that was leaked to the Financial Times. They said liquid, less liquid, and then illiquid, mm-hmm. and they put these serum tokens as less liquid, which it's it's yeah, wild. They're not. Right? Yeah, they're Sorry, not. They're not. They're not. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I, I go by both. I get confused sometimes myself about who I am anymore. But uh, yeah, so uh, it's it's incredible and. The thing that's amazing about this is that, you know, a lot of dumb things happen in financial markets. There's no question. Go back to 2008, the collateralized debt obligations and all that stuff. I mean, yeah, these were things that were illiquid and massively overvalued. But at the very least, somewhere along the line, there was a mortgage, right? At least there was something of value somewhere. Uh, There's literally nothing of value here. These things have been created uh, from scratch. They're literally just pieces of code sitting on a blockchain. These things have no connection to any equity. They have no connection to any debt. There's no cash flow associated with any of these things. They're literally just pieces of code that are floating around. And by through some very simple techniques of creating fake markets, uh, these guys were able to spin up billions of dollars in uh, paper wealth that they then used to raise capital from VCs, as well as to borrow money from other uh, crypto companies. Yes. And the critique that you just laid out, I feel like it's a... Um... You could make that about the case of a lot of cryptocurrencies like, oh, Apple stock, you know, they make the iPhone when you have a mortgage that's to your house. But I feel like with uh, FTX, it's it's a lot more specific because, uh, you know, with, with Ethereum and Bitcoin, there's real demand there of, of a huge network and, you know, the amount of wallets is is growing. And you may say, oh, OK, where's the house? Where's the iPhone? And and that, that's a fair critique. But I, I feel like with these tokens, it's it's much, much, much worse because they are sort of manufacturing the, the demand. Right. And that's, so that's one part of what I showed too in, in my piece. And I, I'm personally very skeptical, skeptical about cryptocurrency in general and the value of any of these tokens, even the, the base layer ones like Bitcoin or Ethereum. But uh, what I show in my piece, for example, is that there are other crypto tokens that were of a similar market cap to FTT. And at the very least, there were real people holding these tokens and trading them. At the very least, there's somebody who believes these things have value out there besides the people that issued them. Uh, that was not true for FTT, and that's not true for any of these other exchange tokens. There's multiple other exchanges and lending firms that have done this exact same scheme. And if you look at the way the tokens are distributed and look at how they trade, it's almost certain that basically no real people own any of these tokens. It's all the company manufacturing the appearance of demand. And what is the function of those tokens? I know there's FTX uh, uh, has equity, had investors from people like you know, Sequoia, Ontario's pension, stuff like that. But then what is the what was the FTX token? What was the purpose of it? So the FTX holding the FTT token in FTX's exchange would give you certain benefits, like it would reduce your trading costs. Um, I think you could get certain other benefits. You could earn yield on them, of course, because why not? Um, 
But yeah, th- that's a very good question about these essentially almost function like uh, rewards programs or something, right? Uh, Celsius was doing the same thing with their sell token. What you would get with the sell token if you held enough of it on their platform, uh, you could get better rates on loans. Um, you could get paid a little bit more yield on your other assets. And then you could also earn yield in sell. So they would actually pay you, for example, you could do- you could deposit dollars to their system and then they would pay you back more if you took the payout in their token. Uh, so there were, and that was what a great deal, right? Uh, they were really helping people out with that one. Um, so that, that's what these things are. They, they basically, they tell people, look at all the utility these tokens have and in practice, what they're being used for is to, is just to pump up a balance sheet. That's what they're really there for. Talk to me about Binance, which is now not only number one crypto, uh, exchange, but it became even bigger after the, the fall of FTX. They have their token BNB. People are looking at CZ, the, the head of Binance, as something of a savior. Some are more skeptical. What do you think of Binance? Do you think that it suffers from the same problems as, as FTX? And yeah, I know they have a the their own token, BNB, I think it's called. Right. So the difference, the only difference being that they have their own blockchain associated with that token. So it's something closer to like a layer one token. Again, I'm, I don't believe any of these things have any value. Um, if you look at what the Binance Smart Chain, which is their own little blockchain, is used for, it's exclusively used for incredibly small, scammy tokens that make the stuff on Ethereum look like it's uh, blue chip. Uh, so what the real value of that thing is, I don't think it's a whole lot, if anything. Um, you know, Binance does claim to have uh, billions of dollars in stable coins that are their own stable coin, the uh, uh, Binance Dollar. Um, and... You know, that's actually issued by a separate company called Paxos, which is based in the U.S. Um, I don't think they've ever been audited, but they probably are more trustworthy than maybe like Tether is. Whether or not they have the dollars or not, nobody knows for certain. I think it's it's probable that they, they do. So, you know, Binance can show a lot of money on their balance sheet. The problem is that all of these crypto exchanges, all of them without exception, uh, are very happy to show you how much money they have in their books and how much money they have in their crypto wallets, but they never tell you how much they owe people. They show their gross assets. They never show what their liabilities are. So Binance has billions and billions and billions of dollars. That's very true. But we don't know how much money they owe their customers and other parties. So uh, I think that Binance probably is not in a great financial position. My guess is that they are, that that what he did to, what he did to FTX was, I think, more probably more of a move of desperation than one of strength. That would be my guess. Um, and then in addition to everything else, regardless of their financial position, uh, they face very, very serious regulatory problems, uh, both in the U.S. and in other countries for a variety of things involving everything from money laundering and tax evasion, uh, avoiding the securities regulations, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think there's a reason why they don't have a known headquarters anywhere in the world and they constantly are on the move. Uh, so, so in finance, there's something called contagion, which is – you know, in 2008, okay, first Bear Stearns goes under, then Lehman goes under, the dominoes fall. How would you estimate the risk of financial contagion within the crypto industry? Not talking about the macro economy outside of crypto, TradFi, but just within crypto, how are you assessing the risk right now? Very high. Um, a lot of people got burned here. And a lot of people who didn't expect to get burned got burned here. And uh, we're only just starting to see the consequences of that. So, um, you know, for example, BlockFi is gone now, uh, which they had been supposedly bailed out by FTX. Um, you know, and we're going to talk about Digital Currency Group in a bit. Uh, they got burned. 
Um, a lot of hedge funds and uh, crypto funds got burned and have money locked on these platforms. Um, unfortunately, they allowed FTX to make their 50 largest creditor sheet confidential at this time. So we actually don't know who has money locked on there yet. A number of funds have admitted they have large sums on there. Um, so there's a lot of people with immediate uh, first order exposure to this thing. Um, who's, who they had been borrowing all these billions of dollars from is a good question as well. Um, obviously, a lot of it was customer assets, but we don't know who else maybe had lent FTX money, maybe even on a semi-secured basis. Um, so that's the second problem. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a huge risk of contagion, and it looks like that's already playing out. And there's a lot of companies that are in serious trouble here. The 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 other thing to consider is that uh, this is going to have a dramatic effect on the uh, 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 likelihood or the uh, willingness of big investors like venture capital firms uh, to invest in these crypto companies. And it turns out, uh, unsurprisingly, that if you look at how these companies work, none of them actually produce anything of value. All they do is they trade these tokens around all day. And so really, they're actually a negative sum. They destroy capital. And they don't generate profits for the most part. Like look at how much money Coinbase has lost in the last uh, two quarter or two uh, year, about $1.5 billion. Um, so the problem is these companies depend on outside financing to keep going. And if the VCs are no longer willing to keep dumping money in, uh, they're going to face serious problems. So it's not only a question of you know, direct first order consequences of FTX and Alameda failing. It's a, con- it's a consequence of what, what effect is this going to have on the, uh, the willingness of investors to continue to put money in? Yes, many crypto companies definitely are not making money. Coinbase, one of the few companies to actually be, you know, be, be profitable in uh, 2021 because their trading fees were so high, mm-hmm. but yeah, now they um, definitely have to cut costs and then they have st- started to. Um, yeah, I, I feel like uh, there's a pr- little bit of a problem within crypto VC in terms of, let's say you and I have the next Grand Theft Auto, but it's going to be on Web3, it's going to be decentralized, and we create it and we sell these tokens. It, the The price discovery is so immediate that we're incentivized to kind of just talk how amazing it is and then sell our tokens instead of actually building the project. That's basically, so, right, there's different levels. So there's the obvious rug pulls that happen. Um, and then there's also the companies that go for the longer scheme, which is the things that like Celsius and FTX were doing, which is prop the price of these things up and then use them as collateral or use them as evidence of solvency to then raise additional funds and keep the keep the uh, party going for longer. But yeah, across the board, that's very true. And we know for a fact that most of these things are incredibly manipulated in terms of their price. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of really uh, dirty stuff going on, and I think what really bothers me about the recent reporting around FTX is that uh, the media is almost making out Sam to be the only bad guy in the room, and everybody else is clean, and that's not true. We're going to find out that Sam was not was not an exception. Uh, he might be closer to the rule for the most of how these companies operate. He might be a particularly egregious example, but uh, I think we're going to find out that a lot more of these companies were doing similar things to what FTX and Alameda were doing. Even the ones that are trying to be honest and doing things right, um, they face huge risks even as a consequence of that. Even the ones that are honest are not making money. In fact, the ones that are honest are probably making less money. Hey there, I hope you're enjoying today's show. Just wanted to let you know that this episode is sponsored by Curve, a payment service that gives you power over your finances. The way it works is that Curve is an extra layer on top of your credit and debit cards that gives you additional cash back on the rewards that you're already earning. Curve Card has no foreign transaction fees and you can choose to earn your rewards in crypto. You don't have to, but you have the option. 
Curve Card also has a feature called Go Back in Time, where you can retroactively change the card used to buy an item after you made the purchase, up to 30 days after, actually. A key concept in finance is optionality. When you have the option to do something, but you don't have to do something, this can be very valuable in finance as well as life. And optionality is exactly what Curve gives you to do with your wallet. So check out Curve to get $20 once you've downloaded the app and made your first transaction. Curve Card is powered by Hatch Bank. Terms and conditions apply. Now let's get back to the interview. All right, now let's go on to DCG Digital Currency Group, a consortium that owns a lot of companies. It owns Genesis Trading. It owns Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, which is a huge, huge trust, not an ETF that owns uh, Bitcoin. And then also, interestingly enough, owns owns, uh, Coindesk, which actually was the first uh, news outlet to leak the balance sheet of Alameda, which kind of uh, triggered this whole thing. Um, Yeah, so you you, on on your page, you've got a great just timeline of the t- Genesis Trading's Twitter account uh, posting about their own exposure to FTX. So on November 8th, when people started to get really worried about FTX, they said, we have Mandarin Lending Book and we have no uh, material net credit exposure. Uh, and we continue to meet the needs of our clients around the world. The next day they said, oh, by the way, we sold collateral resulting in a total loss of $7 million uh, across all counterparties, including Alameda. And then two days later, they said, oh, by the way, uh, our derivatives business currently has $175 in locked funds in FTX trading account. Uh, Then six days later, they say uh, that they need a billion dollars. And a a day or two later, they say, if we don't get this billion dollars, we're going to go bankrupt. Now we're recording on the 23rd of November and uh, things are very much in the air. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And that... That's a classic example of how a lot of these companies have managed these crises. Like FTX did the same thing. They, they'll, they'll say that they're solvent until the moment that they aren't. And it's very, very disappointing that they behave in this fashion. You know, if, if DCG and Genesis had been up front with their exposure and, you know, managed the, managed the public perception better, maybe they wouldn't be in the position they're in now. Although I kind of doubt it just based on looking at kind of the, the, the limited evidence we have about their financial state. So Genesis uh, and Grayscale are the real big, big uh, entities in the digital uh, currency group. Genesis is the, where, where did the losses start uh, at, at Genesis? And, and what does Genesis do? They're a lender. How, how big are they? And you can attribute a lot of the problems or a lot of the public problems back to their relationship with the three euros capital hedge fund, which collapsed back in uh, June, I think May or June. I remember um, I'll go so fast anymore. Uh which was, among other things, had made a bunch of money on the GBTC, the, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust arbitrage. So essentially what was happening for a while was that this, this trust, which is this publicly traded product that holds Bitcoin, basically it's a way for institutional investors to get exposure to Bitcoin, at least in theory. Um, uh, 3AC had been basically making money on the difference between the price of Bitcoin and the price of the trust because for a while the trust was trading at a premium. Um, and then, of course, that switched, and now the trust is trading at, I think, like a 40 to 50% discount to the price of Bitcoin uh, that's yeah, it's under management. So um, that, that helped blow up 3AC among their exposure to the Luna, Terra, Stablecoin, and other stuff. Um, but oh my God, my God, that, sorry. So what the trade there was, okay, GBTC, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, is trading at a premium net relative to its net asset value. So I can harvest that, that uh, inefficiency by shorting GBTC and buying Bitcoin to hedge. And as that spread narrows, I'm going to make money. But the spread did narrow. Well, so, so where were the losses? No. So they were generating they were generating GBTC by giving 
Grayscale Bitcoin, and then they would get shares and then either you know, retain the shares and borrow against them. It's different, different trade. Oh, they uh, were, they were at, buying GBTC and they were one of the they were one of the biggest holders of Grayscale Bitcoin Trust for a while. Mm. And there is some excellent work by a, a guy who writes under the name Data Finnovation that um, is worth pulling up. And that what that shows essentially is that there is some very questionable dealings that were going on between Grayscale or uh, between uh, 3AC and Genesis around that time. Um, and let me pull that up really quick because it's worth talking about it quickly. I wish I could have included it in my in my article, but. Um, uh, essentially, so essentially, um, what was happening was there's a lot of evidence that Grayscale or uh, Genesis may have been lending 3AC the Bitcoin to create Bitcoin trust shares, and that both of them would profit from this because Grayscale makes a lot of money on the fees. But I mean, the long and short of it is that they were very closely tied with this um, failed hedge fund and that they faced over a billion dollars in losses um, back in, in June of 2022. And in order to kind of stave off collapse, uh, the parent company DCG assumed all 1.1 uh, 1 or 1.2 billion dollars worth of losses onto their books. Um, apparently issued a promissory note to Genesis. Um, so that's a big problem, man. That's a that's a huge, huge, huge loss for any company. And then uh, subsequently, it looks like they had losses on FTX. And it also turns out, based on their current disclosures, um, including a letter that was sent out by their CEO, uh, I think yesterday or the day before, to their shareholders, that. Uh, they borrowed another $575 million from their own customers in order to buy back their stock. So if you basically, if you go through the share counts, uh, basically wow. there's this very odd thing. Yeah. So three years capital was very long. Uh, they had massive numbers of shares. They had 39 million shares by December, 2020. And then they were, uh, they were pledging it to Genesis for loans. So they were generating these, these uh, shares and then going back and borrowing money from Genesis. It's a very interesting. It's a very interesting thing that has not got enough exposure yet. It was recently shared by some people on Twitter and got some more exposure. But this is uh, very questionable things that were going on. Uh, that these companies had a very, very, very close relationship. Yeah, that's a that's, that's a great. And when we see the word yeah. create GBTC, uh, what does the word create mean? So, in order to make grayscale Bitcoin trust shares, you have to have Bitcoin. So you can, in order to get the shares, you could either buy the shares from the company or you could give them Bitcoin and then they would lock it in the trust and then use that as, as the uh, backing for new shares. Wow. So it's, it's effectively um, betting that the spread will uh, narrow. Stay higher. And the, sp- the spread only widened into a wider and wider discount. Wow. Right. And so Genesis was funding this. Genesis had a huge loss to Three Arrows Capital, Capital which was doing this uh, failed trade. A $1.2 billion loss, but then the parent company, DCG, Digital Currency Group, assumed that $1.2 billion loss. So that's right. already kind of in the hole a, a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then did and they then, lend additional it, more money to buy them back stock, to buy stock? Well, so what happened, so Genesis is uh, ostensibly a, a prime brokerage. And part of what their business was, was they were lending uh, funds to other crypto traders, etc., and where they were getting these funds from were, were institutionals, institutions. So one of the biggest of them was Gemini, the exchange run by the uh, Winklevoss twins, uh, which operated its own earning products. So the retail investors would get like a 6 to 8% return on their crypto by giving it to Gemini. Gemini would then give all of those that money to Genesis to manage, and then Genesis was supposed to lend it out and earn higher amounts of yield. In practice, what was happening, and this is what they've apparently admitted to, uh, is that some almost $600 million worth of that money that they borrowed uh, was taken by DCG as a loan 
And then DCG used it to buy back their own shares and invest in other venture projects. So what they did, and you have to remember that these deposits are, uh, they're, they're not locked. It's not like they're time deposits. Uh, people can come back and re- request their money back at any time. So they took stuff that needed to be highly liquid and they dumped it in an incredibly illiquid stock that um, probably has lost a significant amount of value in the intervening period. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's incredible that they did this. It's, Wait, it really just, is. Are you telling me that if, if I, someone who dep- gave money to Gemini and put uh, Gemini earn program, okay, we're going to get my, I'm going to get my 6%. I'm going to get my 8%. You're telling me that Gemini took that money, lent it to Genesis, who in turn lent it to its own parent company so that they could buy back their own stock. That's, that's what, uh, that's what's being reported. So. Wow. Well, and that's not the only, you know, that's, that's just one example. Uh, Celsius network to go back to my kind of my wheelhouse uh, was doing something very similar. So they took uh, a massive amount of their customers' money. Again, these are not time deposits. The customers could come back and say, I want my money back at any time. And they dumped hundreds of millions of dollars worth into investing in Bitcoin mining companies, into other venture funds and, and venture investments and things that were totally illiquid. So that's, this is something that's happening, I think, across the crypto industry. Um, and yeah, so in addition to their incredibly uh, risky and failed exposure to 3AC, they were also making incredibly bad moves by borrowing their own customers, essentially money that they were saying they were lending out to others, they were lending to themselves. Based on what they've disclosed, so remember, DCG is this kind of parent company for uh, multiple different companies, the Genesis, Grayscale, and then there's Coindesk, which is, like we mentioned, is one of the big crypto media outlets, uh, Foundry, which is like a Bitcoin mining services company. And then there's, there's a couple other ones as well. But if we look at how much of, uh, according to this letter that Barry Silbert, the CEO, sent out a couple days ago, uh, they anticipate something like $800 million in annual revenue this year. Most of that revenue comes just from Grayscale because Grayscale charges this massive 2% or 2.5% fee of annual, annually against the assets under management of all of these trusts. Uh, if you figure it out, that's most of where their revenue is coming from. So all these other companies that are under their umbrella are really a fraction of the actual like value of the company. Really all that's there is Grayscale. So this company is somehow spending hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue from Grayscale, in addition to having to borrow $575 million from their own customers, uh, in addition to borrowing another $325 million from a secure lending facility last year, in addition to raising a bunch of money from equity investors. Yeah, so where's the money and that going? Money's all gone. Uh, so the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is kind of, and Ethereum Trust, they're kind of cash cows because yes. yeah, they get 2%, a, a nice hefty fee. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that they collect fees based on the net asset value, not the actual value uh, of what the thing is tra- trading. <laughs> so if it's trading, uh, the, the stock is trading at a 45% discount, you're Doesn't actually matter. paying pretty much twice in fees what you would. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it is a fantastic business from their perspective. Although ultimately the goal was to turn it into an ETF, and the SEC said, "Heck no," because uh, Bitcoin markets are incredibly manipulated, and they cite the evidence for it. There's a the it's worth reading the SEC decisions on these things. Um, and then I think Grayscale suing the SEC over it, which good luck. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, basically their entire business is the, operating this trust, and then the rest of it is just. They have all these venture capital investments, which I was going to go into in the article and just say, okay, what's this stuff actually worth? But I mean, it's not even worth it. Go Just go look at what they own. I mean, there's a great, uh, the block has a great article kind of with a, this graphic that shows all of the different companies under their umbrella that they've invested in. And I mean, mark that, mark that, mark that down 90% at least. I mean, whatever they put into it, because. Yeah. So there's the judgment of what is the true economic value, which based on what you're saying, sounds like you think it is quite low. 
and that that is somewhat subjective but then there's the objective of what could you get if you could sell it at now and that objectively is way lower like for example if there's a private equity company and you know you had a very profitable business but you needed to sell it in march of 2020 when there was no liquidity even though the economic value was quite high you know you you the market value was low and objectively like right. the market value is, is pretty low and that that's what gets back to the effect of ftx on all of this stuff right like seeing FTX collapse and watching all these VCs get burned, uh, a lot of people are going to be less likely to be inclined to buy assets from DCG now, right? I mean, they're not going to be interested in buying a, a company that services Bitcoin miners when all the Bitcoin mining companies are going bankrupt, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's or, or buying, I mean, uh, uh, there are other companies that, that don't apparently generate much of any revenue, even revenue. And, we, that, and then we're just talking about revenue. We're not even talking about what their actual net income is. And you'll notice his letter didn't mention how much money are we actually making on a real basis. Uh, the answer is probably that they're losing money annually, even with Grayscale, which is a profit center. Yeah, so they have $800 million in revenue. You know, I mean, I asked, we asked this earlier, but w- legitimately, where, where is the money going? Is it going to loans? I guess buying back their own stock, but hiring a lot of people, but acquisitions? We'll find out, I guess. I mean, how did, how did Sam Bankman-Fried manage to fritter away billions of dollars in we know we spent some of it on ads and other things, but DCG is not really, as far as I know, all that, you know, they're not spending that much money on ads or lobbying. So I have no idea. It costs a lot of money to keep these businesses running, I guess, especially if they're not generating any returns. Uh, so who knows? And who knows what other exposures Genesis might have to other companies that are in trouble. We don't know what else we've only, we've only scratched the surface of this thing is what I'm, what I'm saying. And I think we're going to find out more um, as the days go on. Um, and I guess what we'll see inning, if anybody's you know, willing to bail them out. Nine innings in a baseball game. What inning would you say we're in? No idea. But uh, I don't think we're early, but I don't think we're late either. I'd say we're about halfway through. Okay. Right. Um, with DCG, I mean, I who knows? I mean, it could be – a lot of this is based on rumor. We don't know how, how desperate they are for money. It sounds like they're pretty desperate. Uh, they haven't done much to counteract those rumors that they're very desperate. So it's very possible that maybe they go bankrupt in the next few days. Who knows? Um but then in terms of the wider effects on everything else, I mean, the thing is, that in terms of reputation, I mean, Sam, is, Sam and FTX were better known publicly. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like an institutional level, I was talking to people just a couple of weeks ago who are institutional investors who are serious, like real people who know uh, a lot about this business who are saying, oh, DCG is probably fine. So they're going to be shocked. And they already are shocked by what's happening here. So this is just another nail in the coffin of the rep- rep- reputation of this industry. Well, so nail in the coffin. Coffin is, is that's a little permanent. You know, 2018 was bad. When I first started paying attention, was like many people, the peak of the the bull market, the bubble, mm-hmm. let's call it that, in 2017. And then the bear market was brutal, and it just things went lower. Tons of scams, tons of Ponzi's. But then you know, it it, it roared back. So hope springs eternal. You know. Yeah, interest rates need to be low. So. If the if the Fed decides to ease, maybe they'll have another bubble. But the other the other thing to consider here is that the effect of um, all of this stuff, all these failures on regulation, and if there's if there's serious regulation and like market rules are applied to these things, um, the a lot of the a lot of the techniques that have been used to drive prices up will not be available anymore. So it'll be interesting to see what happens and how that affects uh, retail's willingness to participate in these things. Where when a year ago there were people saying, "Oh, I." not only do I own crypto, which is going up, but I'm staking and staking. I can get 6%, 8%, 10%, 12%. And the dollar is yielding zero. Um, mm-hmm. 
where did that people people smart people at the time not me but smart people asked where is the yield coming from uh do you think we have now a better picture of where it's coming from or is it still hazy where it's coming from well that was that was the question that got me interested in crypto you know um having like i don't have a finance background but i've always been interested in fraud and history of fraud and seeing companies offering these 10 12 14% interest rates when the free or the risk free rate zero uh, on dollars, not even on other crypto assets, but on, on dollar equivalents. Uh, yeah, that was that was a, kind of a major red flag. Um, yeah, I think we're seeing that there was the, the, there is no magic money box to 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 take Sam's uh, phrase. There is no magic money box, and uh, none of these things were creating anything of value. What they were doing was things like what Three AC was doing, which was capitalizing on these temporary market fluctuations that appeared to be permanent. Uh, that maybe made money for a while, right? I mean, you have to remember, like, for a good example would be Alameda, right? Mm-hmm. Alameda, these tokens that they had, like Serum and stuff, they were worth, like, uh, 10 times or 15 times more than what they were worth a couple of weeks ago back in, like, 2021. They would have had tens of billions of dollars on their balance sheet, ostensibly. Yeah, so, that's why in the letter that uh, Scam Bankman Fraud sent to, to FTX employees... Uh, he said, yeah, we had $60 billion in collateral before the sell-off in the spring. And I just really did not like that number because it was just, it based, made so many assumptions. And uh, I mean, my opinion oh, lies. Yeah. That just, well, that's what, and that's, that's exactly what this, this scam is. And that's what, that's what everyone, just about everyone has been doing. That's what all of these yield things depended on because there's no way, right? I mean, and look at like, again, go back to, go back to what Celsius was doing. They were offering these crazy high yields. What were they investing in? They were investing in Bitcoin mining, uh, and they were buying other companies involved in crypto that were essentially not revenue generators. And they were just projecting that, well, we're paying $100 million for this company right now, and it was worth $2 million last year, so next year it'll be worth $5 billion. So we'll be able yeah. to pay everybody back. Okay, so, so the specific exa- examples, the, the track record is, is very poor, but the business model itself of securities is not inherently a scam. Like in the traditional financial world, if there's some... Uh, very illiquid stock that I want to short because it's a SPAC and it, it's a you know unprofitable tech stock, whatever. Uh, you're a brokerage. You can charge me 200% to borrow that stock, and I will. And that can be profitable. Yeah. And in, to to you know make a pro crypto talking point that I kind of you know has some merit to it. Uh, in you know if on, on eTrade or Interactive Brokers, it's very hard to harvest that yield. If you if you're long that stock, you, you can't really you know Interactive Brokers gets that 200. percent Whereas the idea was, oh, we're going to give this to the clients. Um, it went horribly wrong. And I think the truth of the matter is, the the arbitrage opportunities uh, to generate a 10 percent yield are not abundant. And the more capital goes into the space, the fewer returns there are. So yeah, in 2018, you might be able to get a 10% arbitrage by buying Bitcoin in America and selling it in Korea or whatever. But that spread narrows. And you know, I think the ultimate the the first lie of sort of Sam Bankman Fried's empire was that he was this genius who who um, harvested that spread. And he did it in size. And I I think he did definitely did do it. But I I talked to a crypto trader um, yesterday who said, look, he did that trade. I'm sure he did that trade. I'm sure he made a lot of money during the trade. Everyone did that trade. Everyone knew about that trade. Uh, it's not like he was the only one, you know. Um, and I think that you know, if you, so you say you say you are a, a student of, um, of fraud and scams. I think that is a often a a, th- a feature of scams is that they it appears risk free. It, it appears arbitrage. I think it was Bernie Madoff who said, "Oh, the way that we generate these returns is because we take advantage of an, of an arbitrage within the options market, where we, uh, you know, we basically." We short the futures and we buy the options. And, and it's just like, 
that's one basis point, you know, how are you getting 15%? Right. Well, I mean, right. Like the, the legend of Charles Fonzi, right? Like his initially his business actually worked. He was making money on the, 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 the scam. It just, it, he just decided to just start taking people's money and paying ridiculous interest rates out and stop actually doing the trade that was making him a decent, you know, a decent return. So, yeah, I mean, part of it's part of it is that maybe there are all these opportunities to like temporarily make money, but yeah, they won't last. And then, yeah. then you're stuck with owning people all sorts of money that you can't pay back. And that's what's happened here. I want to return to a sort of a fine detail of FTX, which is that they did the ultimate forbidden thing for an exchange, which is to lend client funds. That by itself is already egregious. But I, th- I think what is possible, which is sort of implied by Sam Bankman-Fried's um, DMs with a journalist from Vox, which I recommend people people read, is that the money literally never was at FTX. Um, how did, you know, we know that the Sam Bankman-Fried empire of Alameda and FTX had all of these serum tokens and these MAPS tokens, Oxygen, FTT that were at inflated values. But at what point did Sam Bankman-Fried essentially try and bail out Alameda by lending Alameda money in the same way that DCG is, you know, lent money to, to Genesis, or excuse me, I guess the other way around, uh, Genesis lent money to DCG. Um, and yeah, what are, what are the details there? Because I'm, I'm still a little fuzzy on that. Well, so what I'm seeing from a number of people who have posted these uh, pictures of the wire transfers they were sending to FTX back in like 2019, the dollars, the actual real money that went to FTX went to Alameda's bank accounts. It was under Alameda's bank account. You would, if you literally can look at the transfer, it's, it's not going to FTX, it's going to Alameda. So uh, the dollars maybe never reached FTX ever. And then in addition to that, yeah, then they were borrowing customers' crypto assets and then doing whatever they were doing with them, whether it was these trades that went badly or if they were just selling the assets off and spending the money on uh, real estate in the Bahamas and advertisements and you know Tom Brady and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they've been doing that for probably a long time, if not the entire, the entire history of the company. Um, there's something interesting that I don't know if it's gotten a lot of public attention, but... Uh, some of something circulating around is um, Alameda's um, proposal sheet from like 2018 or 2019 to institutional investors <laughs> and their pitch, their pitch back in back then. Okay. Back then was we will pay you 15% returns and there is no risk. And to me, when somebody says there's 15% returns and no risk, I say, you're lying to me. Yeah. Uh, so they were doing that back in 2019. My guess, and there's some good evidence of this, that they were probably always operating at a loss and that they created FTX as a way to kind of try and dig their way out of the hole that they had created back a couple of years ago. Do you have any idea of, was there ever ever a time where FTX uh, had a matched book where, you know, if I bought one Ethereum, no? I don't think so. I mean, just, just based on the blockchain evidence that they never seem to have a cold wallet, which is like the place where you store the assets that somebody gives you. Um, I mean, they did have wallets with a lot of Ethereum and uh, various other assets in them, but it was nowhere close to the amount that they owed people. Um, most of it just went straight to Alameda. So, yeah, they were just taking them. They were just taking the money, and that was probably true the whole time. Um, and the fact that nobody noticed this—I mean, I didn't notice it. So it's just amazing that nobody nobody really thought to check. Yeah. Well. You know, Mike, you have a full-time job. You're doing this research on the side. You're a really smart guy. You're a financial bloodhound. But you were able to ferret this out before pretty much er- almost everybody. But do, you know, what does it say that you, know, you, you have a full-time job and you were able to notice this, but 
there are venture capital firms, consulting firms who are paid hundreds of millions of dollars a year to be financial detectives, and they were completely asleep at the wheel. I mean, it's kind of an embarrassment, if you ask me. Well, I mean, here's what I think, okay? I think that if I had gone into finance and I was doing this as a job and I was hired by some venture capital firm to look into FTX, and I wrote a report saying, hey, none of this makes any sense and these numbers are wrong. I think they would have either ignored it or fired me and gone on with the investment anyway. These companies, you know, like ultimately, uh, it's this fear of missing out that drives their investment. Um, and they want to believe what they want to believe. They're not, they're clearly not doing any real due diligence here. They can't, they couldn't have been. Because like you said, I'm not an expert. I'm just some guy. If I'd had their balance sheet a year ago, I would have known they were insolvent a year ago. Like, and anybody with any kind of experience in this crypto industry would have agreed with that. So you tell me, I have no idea. I have no idea how, you know, I mean, another good example, go back to Celsius. The the guy who founded the company claims to have invented the VOIP software, the voice over IP like Skype. That's totally false. That's just an outright, obvious, egregious lie that anybody can prove with two seconds of Googling. And other things about his career are the same way where it's just this gross exaggerations, very easily proven. And yet, None of the people that invest in this company saw thought that that was a red flag. They gave him seven hundred fifty million dollars, and they they didn't think that maybe the fact that this person's been fabricating their entire career is maybe a red flag, and maybe we shouldn't invest in this company. Uh, so that's just one example among many of like the, the gross total failure of very basic uh, due diligence by these guys. And you tell me, I I honestly don't know why what drives them to do that, but uh, I don't know either. So a lot of what we talked about so far is backward looking sort of uh, looking, looking back and see, seeing from stuff that's already happened. But now let's look forward. What do you think is the next shoe to drop? Obviously Genesis hangs on the balance as we speak uh, close to noon on the November 23rd. Uh, if there is a next shoe to drop, what do you think it would be? I mean, there's a lot of different players in the space. I mean, your guess is as good as mine. I wouldn't have guessed that DCG would be going under as quickly as it did uh, two weeks ago. I wouldn't have seen that coming. Um, I didn't expect FTX to collapse as quickly as it did. I knew that they were in trouble, but I didn't expect that they were as bad as they were. So, um, yeah, I have no clue, man. Uh, what, all I know is that everyone is at risk. There is no exception here. Um just because of the collateral damage, even the companies that are not directly exposed are going to have serious problems. Uh, the fact that a major exchange, Gemini, is now completely discredited because of their relationship with uh, Genesis means that they're going to have face serious problems. And all the reputational damage is going to have tremendous consequences. And it's just starting to play out. Um, you know, I, I am working on an article right now about companies that have been, lining to, uh, have been lending to these Bitcoin mining companies, which are all failing right now. I think that that's a major source of uh, risk and contagion because uh, they probably aren't going to get paid back. And uh, the collateral that they, 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 took, they took these loans out on was Bitcoin mining rigs, which the value of, of which has declined, declined some 70 or 80% over the last year. So uh, there's a lot, there are a lot of people at risk here. There are a lot. What and sort it's, of it's players are, are lending to Bitcoin mining companies? Bitcoin mining companies, uh, it's a very volatile business like copper mining or oil drilling. But oil drillers, they typically hedge. They typically buy puts on the price of oil or sell calls against it. I've heard rumors that Bitcoin buyers buy calls and sell puts. They they double down on their bet, which is, is quite extreme. But it doesn't seem to me like that's a systemic risk. You know, if if, if pretty much close to every single publicly traded um, Bitcoin miner goes bankrupt, 
I don't see the sort of contagion risk, but tell me, tell me what you see there. And, and also, so they're taking loans from these players. Who are the players who they're taking the loans from? Uh, so one, one example is NYDIG, NYDIG, NY, I think it's NY Digital, has been making massive loans to a number of different Bitcoin miners, all of which are failing. Um, and the, the, the key point here is that these are hundreds of millions of dollars in loans, and they're collateralized again by Bitcoin mining rigs, which are worthless or close to worthless. They're going to be very hard to liquidate. Um, so what they did was they loaned based on collateral that is not valuable. So now whether or not that's going to destroy this company, I have no clue. You know, I can't, I can't know what their, I don't know their balance sheet, they're privately, private company. Uh, but all I know is that there's going to be massive losses that are going to be taken by these lenders that probably haven't been recognized yet or are still kind of hiding. Um, so that's just one example among many. Yeah. Um, and, and what are the others? I, I get the feeling that almost all of the traditional investment banks uh, in TradFi, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, have very, very, very limited exposure to crypto lending. Um, I'm still working on the article, so I, I can't I can't speak to anything beyond what I've what I've currently said. James, well, it's been fascinating having you on. Uh, your writings uh, can be found on Substack at Dirty Bubble Media and on Twitter. You are at Mike Burgersberg. Where does that handle Mike Burgersberg come from? Um, I honestly don't remember. I think I was reading Bloomberg and like eating lunch or something and the name just kind of popped into my head. Uh, so here we are, Mike, Mike Bloomberg, Mike Burgersberg. Oh, okay, there we go. Yeah. Thanks so much, Mike. And thanks everyone for watching. Have a good one. Thank you so much for watching. A few housekeeping items before I let you go. Subscribe to the BlockWorks Macro YouTube channel so you don't miss another episode of Forward Guidance. Uh, you can find Forward Guidance, the podcast you just listened to, on your favorite podcast app. That's Apple Podcast, Spotify, Overcast, Podbean. Uh, that's Podbean as in on this pod, I've been saying that the Fed pivot is still far away. In addition, please check out today's sponsor. It really helps the show. Link is in the description. Thanks for watching.